You're listening to Gruesome and Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Gruesome and Unnatural. I'm Shelly. And I'm Eric, and this is episode 64. Hello, my gruesome addicts. Thanks for joining us for another episode, and let's just get into it. Yay. <laughs> You're going to love this one. Uh, I bet. You know, I'm in such a great mood right now anyway, so. Exactly. Yes. This will put me in a better one, right? That sounded depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, Robert Andrew Berdella Jr. was born on January 31st, 1949 in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, to Robert Andrew Berdella Sr. and Mary Louise Berdella. Robert Sr. and Mary then went on to have their second son, Daniel. His father, Their father worked for Ford Motor Company and was a devout Roman Catholic, so the family regularly attended Mass, and both Robert and his brother attended religious education courses. Always starts with that shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Just saying. <laughs> so for right now, while I'm talking about you know Robert Senior and Robert Junior, I'm just going to refer to him as Robert Junior, so I don't get con- you know we don't get confused. So Roboito. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I had that in my head when I was doing this. So I was like, I knew at one point you were going to fucking say that. <laughs> He was known to be an intelligent child, but seemed to be alone a lot. Like, he rarely went outside to play with, like, you know, friends or whatever. Like, he didn't really play with anybody. (laughs) He mostly sat by himself painting. He collected coins and stamps, and he even wrote to, like, foreign pen pals. Robert did have a speech impediment, and he wore really, really thick glasses starting around the age of five because he was severely nearsighted. Not only that, but Robert had to take several medications because of his diagnosis of high blood pressure, even at, like, a really young age. But one fucked up thing about his father, Robert Sr., was that he viewed Daniel, his little brother, a little differently than, you know, his other son, Robert, because Robert was not really an athletic kid, but Daniel was. So Robert Sr. valued sports and physical education. So the fact that Robert wasn't into sports, his father looked at it as like sign, like a sign of failure. Yep. That's fucked <laughs> up. <laughs> But eventually, Robert Sr. did begin physically and emotionally abusing both of his sons, and he would usually beat them with like a leather strap. Well, I mean, what, what year was this again? Well, he was born in 1949. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, these are All the old, of our parents older told days. us, like, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Your grandpa took out the belt. Yep. Like, yep, for sure. Definitely heard that. Grandpa put down the bottle, started beating me with <laughs> his fist. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not, not, not my family. I'm just saying. Oh, my God. Like I said, Robert was intelligent, but often his teachers would say that he was difficult to teach. He was bullied a lot in school, and he rarely even spoke to other students. And later in life, he discovered that, in fact, he liked men. And But he kept it secret for several years. He did briefly have a girlfriend, but obviously, you know, nothing came of that. By the time he was in his mid-teens, Robert started to display aggression towards women in particular, just of being like rude and condescending towards women mostly, but men too. So Christmas Day, December 25th, 1965, the whole Berdella family drove to Canton, Ohio to visit with relatives like a lot of people do, you know, on that day, it's Christmas Day. Although that evening, Robert Sr. suffered a heart attack at only 39 years old. And how and why Robert traveled back home by himself, I'm not exactly sure. But once he did return home, his mother had told him that his father had passed away. Fuck. 
So Robert became even more religious after that, looking into like not only the, you know, being a Catholic like his father, but like other religions too. Like I know a lot of people kind of do when they have suffered something in their family. Some people turn to religion, right? Yep. A few days after Christmas in 1965, Robert had seen the film The Collector. Have you ever seen that? I've never heard of it. I've never seen it. It's probably a really old ass movie, but so apparently um, in this film, it's about a disturbed man who stalks a young woman whom he finds attractive and then he abducts her, holds her captive in a windowless stone basement for several weeks, although she dies even like after many att- attempts to like keep her alive, I guess. Kind of creepy. Uh, she ended up contracting some kind of illness and she died in this movie. This is about this movie. Uh-huh. So apparently this movie like left a lasting impression on him and it just like stuck in his brain. So shortly after this and not too long after his father died, his mother remarried, which kind of really pissed off Robert, right? Kind of like, like my dad just died. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> That's how I was kind of feeling, right? So he returned back to his childhood ways. Like I said, he painted a lot. He wrote to pen pals as well as collecting coins and stamps. His pen pals were usually from Vietnam and Burma, and they would send him stamps and photographs of mythical and historical icons, ancient cultures and architecture. So this began to pique an interest in like art and photographs and antiques for Robert. Yeah. So I really got into that. The year is now 1967, and Robert just graduated from Cuyahoga Falls High School, and he decided he wanted to move to Kansas City, Missouri, where he would enroll at Kansas City Art Institute, in which he wanted to become a college professor. Everything started off great, but when he got to his second year of college, he became close with a group of friends who were supplying him drugs, in which, in turn, he would sell to other students. At this time, he also began drinking a lot Um, I hate to do this because I like, I don't feel like I need to, but I'm going to do a little heads up on this next part because in the Catherine Knight episode that we did, there's some like animal abuse and (laughs) there was a couple of people that told me they had to turn off the episode because they couldn't listen to it. Like after they heard what had happened, they were like, fuck that. I can't listen to it. And there's animal abuse. Then why are you guys listening to a true crime podcast? It's mostly about people. I don't mean to yell at her fans, but... (laughs) Come on, guys. So, a little warning. Maybe you want to skip a little ahead if you don't want to hear it, but you have to hear it. So, are you ready? Yeah, if I have to, okay. you guys do, too. I don't want to listen to this shit. So, Robert... There's on- no pause button on her <laughs> next to me. Sorry. So, Robert, on two different occasions, engaged in animal torture. One instance, he decapitated a duck in front of a bunch <laughs> of kids at his school. Was not thinking of that animal. Right? I know, I know. This is the last thing I would have thought, too. The second instance, he decided to experiment with sedatives and tranquilizers on a dog. And he's, like, in college, right? Yeah, this is college. Well, weird, because, like, the, the whole trifecta thing starts as a kid when you start, like, murdering animals and stuff like that. At least for me. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus no. um, Well, he's getting beat by his dad his whole childhood. I don't think he had time. <laughs> well, that's when you hear about it. No, like, for when sure. they're super no, young. And now absolutely. he's in college and just starts doing it now. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even really think about that when I was researching weird. that. Yeah. For sure. Um, but what a fucking bastard. I know, I know. Seriously. Yep. What did a dog or duck do? I don't know. He was a piece of shit. At least eat the duck. Yeah, I don't know if he did. I don't even know what he did with it afterwards. Seriously. That's fucked up. But later on, he did get arrested because he sold methamphetamine to an undercover cop. (laughs) (laughs) But he was released after posting a $3,000 bond. He later pled guilty to that offense and was given a five-year suspended. Wow. Really goes downhill. See what happens when you collect stamps and coins (laughs) growing up? (laughs) It 
gonna fuck pen pals from Vietnam and Burma during the, like right before the war. <laughs> this guy's wild. Just one month after that, Robert and two other students were arrested for possession of marijuana and LSD. Robert was not able to post bond for this arrest, so he actually ended up spending five days in jail. Although the charges would be dropped because of lack of evidence. So he got lucky on that one, I guess. <laughs> Just two years after enrolling at Kansas City Art Institute, he withdrew himself because he was getting a lot of shit from the uh, like college administrators for like you know the animal abuse, pretty much, and like what he did to... These animals, I won't say it again, <laughs> but he was like, all right, I'm just going to withdraw myself because I'm getting too much shit, you know, from them. So after leaving college, Robert began working as a short order cook in several different restaurants around Kansas City, as well as selling items of art and antiques that he had collected from Africa, Asia, South America, and various Pacific Rim countries. This is how he was able to pay for like lawyer fees, as well as um, buying a house that he moved into at 4315 Charlotte Street in Kansas City, Missouri. Cool. Visiting. <laughs> Robert was openly gay for several years at this point and began spending a lot of his time with male prostitutes, drug addicts, petty criminals, and runaways. Although, Robert, he was adamant that he was becoming friends with these individuals purely to help them with drug addictions and criminal lifestyles. That's Says what he claimed. The drug dealer. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I'm trying um, to help him get off of it. Right. Yeah. While making money off of him. Exactly. But then also his neighbor stated that he was kind of like a foster parent to many of these young kids, which is kind of weird. But eventually Robert did have sexual relationships with these men or boys and would establish a kind of control over them by loaning them money and allowing them to stay at his house rent free for periods of time. In the late 1970s, Robert began working with the South Hyde Park Crime Prevention and Neighborhood Association and even became their chairman in 1980 and encouraged fuck? neighborhood watch patrols. Right? Oh, my God. Weird. So this crazy. Dog and duck murdering drug dealing <laughs> bastard. Fucking. Not, yeah. What weird. Yes. I know. I know. And like I said, he was a cook at several different restaurants. And this time he became like a senior cook and joined a local chef's association and helped establish a training program for aspiring chefs at a local community college. So he's doing horrible shit, but he's also trying to help the community. Cooking it up. Yeah. How about some roasted duck? Okay. <laughs> By 1981, Robert had established several contractual agreements with both national and international contacts for his antiques business, which began to flourish. Robert left his position in the mid-1980s as chairman and took on an antique business as a full-time job. So he no, no longer was cooking or being a chef, too. 1982, Robert rented out a booth at a Westport flea market, which he named Bob's Bazaar Bazaar. But it's like Bob's B-A-Z-A-A-R and then B-I-Z-A-R-R-E. Bazaar Bazaar? I don't know. <laughs> he mostly sold and traded primitive art, jewelry, and antiques. Sometimes he would make a lot of money off of these items, and other times he was kind of struggling. So just to you know make ends meet, he sometimes he would like steal stuff from people and then bring it back to his booth and sell it at his booth. <laughs> So a booth that Neighborhood was Neighborhood Watch, huh? <laughs> I didn't even, oh my god, exactly. So a booth that was adjacent to his was run by a man named Paul Howell and his son Jerry Howell became like kind of acquaintances with Robert. Although Jerry and his friends would later start to like taunt Robert about being gay, although Robert later claimed that Jerry confided in him telling him that he and his friends occasionally earn money as male prostitutes. So then why are they making fun of him for being gay? I don't know. <laughs> So Paul, Jerry's dad, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
no, it's so, it's so Making fun weird. of him, like, oh, you're gay. But I need to suck someone's dick for some money. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh my God, exactly, exactly. Like, what? So Paul, Jerry's dad, relocated his booth, like his business, to an actual store, which was in the intersection of 39th and Main Street. And visit his family it. lived, like, in the apartment above. Was it what? I said visit it. <laughs> I don't have the exact address, but oh, that's in the intersection. We can Google alert that. <laughs> Robert remained a casual friend of the family, but in 1984, things kind of changed for Robert. By the way, this is just believed to be his ver- first victim. So the day is July 5th, whoop, whoop, 1984, my birthday. Not my birthday, but you know, the day. The day is July 5th. Four years before you were born. <laughs> yes, exactly. Robert is 35 years old and Jerry is 19 years old at this time. Robert promised him that he would drive Jerry to a dance contest in Miriam, Kansas. I would love to know what this dance contest is about, by the way. I just kept thinking about that. A Chippendales contest. (laughs) Oh, shit. Maybe it was. So according to Robert, he gave Jerry alcohol, diazepam, and ace promazine? I don't know if I'm I'm Uh. saying those right, but... Some shit to fuck Some him drugs. Up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While driving him to the so-called dance contest and and at his house, too. If he's going to be in a dance, he's in going to be in the dance contest? I guess so, yeah. He wants to be part of this like, So get him all fucked so. up first? Yeah. Well, Come yeah. On, you got to be on your game. What the fuck? <laughs> I know. So he gave this to him while they were driving, and then, you know, obviously he's not taking him, so he brought him back to the house and gave him more, you know, these drugs. Mm. And Jerry becomes unconscious. Yeah, right. why see. was he? If he, maybe I he see went, what maybe, he was doing. Maybe he's just going to see the contest or something. I don't know. But this was his goal, was to end up drugging him, yeah. getting him unconscious, bringing him back to his house. So Robert, while inside the house, injects Jerry with a heavy tranquilizer, then bounds him to his bed. He was restrained there for a period of about 28 hours. This is horrible. Before While, you get to the horrible oh. stuff, I. it's crazy how many times you've had so many stories about people tranquilizing other people. And it's like, where the fuck do they get them? I have no idea. Like I've been searching all over the internet, (laughs) (laughs) but like, seriously, like, is it, was it a thing? I mean, it is the earlier years. Probably things are easier to get, but that's crazy. Yeah. It's what? 1984 at this point? 84. Yeah. I don't know. Is there like a fucking store, like a tranquilizer store? (laughs) No idea. Tranks are us. Yeah. I have no idea. It's so weird. Come on in. Do you have the trifecta? Yeah. Do you need some tranquilizers? <laughs> the trifecta. Exactly. Okay. Now it's getting gruesome. Okay. So okay. Sorry. Is, sorry. I interrupted. Like sorry, guys. Extremely gruesome. <laughs> gruesome part. That's okay. <laughs> Tranks are us. Oh, fuck. Okay. So, yeah. So I was saying he was trained there for a period of about 28 hours while Robert repeatedly drugged, tortured, raped and violated him with foreign objects all the while ignoring jerry's like questions of why he was doing this to him and to let him free jerry ultimately according to robert died of either choking on his own vomit or it was a combination of like the gag that he had and the medications that he had like given him like maybe they were just too strong or whatever and the fact that jerry just couldn't catch a breath like lack of oxygen pretty much and that's how he passed away after jerry died he dragged his body down to the basement where this fucking psycho suspends Jerry's body over a large cooking pot and then proceeded to make several incisions to his inner elbows and jugular vein. 
He left his body like that overnight in order to drain the blood from the corpse. Yeesh. I know. Like, what a sick Jesus Christ. You said the last one wasn't that gruesome and you need something a little more gruesome. You know, the Watcher one. Yeah, my bad. So this is why I picked this one. (laughs) The next day, Robert dismembered the body with a chainsaw and boning knives. He then wrapped the body in, like, the body parts in newspaper and trash bags and placed those into a larger trash bag in which he put those trash bags into a trash bin that was outside to be picked up to be taken to a landfill. After being reported missing, obviously being the last person to see Jerry, Robert was questioned, but he claimed they parted ways when he dropped him off in Miriam for the dance contest, and that was that. That was the last time anybody had seen him, but he just dropped him off. April 10th, 1985, Robert Sheldon, whom he, who uh, had lived with Robert, before knocking on his door asking if he could stay at his house for a short period of time, Robert agreed, but just two days later, on, a- on April 12th, he decided that Robert Sheldon was an inconvenience and found him drunk when he got home one night, so he decided to drug him and held him captive. Robert stated that he only did this so he could, quote, express some of the anger and frustration that I had toward other people, unquote. Robert Sheldon was drugged and held captive on the second floor bedroom for three days, and another horrible, horrible thing. Robert swabbed drain cleaner into Robert Sheldon's left eye. He would insert needles beneath his fingertips. Mm. Mm, I know. Bind his wrists with piano wire in order to permanently damage the nerves in his hands. What the fuck? And lastly, he would fill his ears with caulking. So Robert Sheldon like just couldn't hear or could barely Jesus. hear. Jesus. I know. I've like I've heard some of these things being done to people, how horrible it is, but like the caulking, like, what the fuck? Three days later, on April 15th, a worker was scheduled to come by to do some work on the roof of Robert's house. So he was like, oh, shit, like, I need to get rid- I need to get rid of this guy. Like, I can't have him here. So he put a sack over Robert Shelton's head and tightened it with a piece of rope, suffocating him, and then dismembered his body in the third floor bathroom. Just two months later, there had been a severe thunderstorm. And this is when Robert found Mark Wallace in his tool shed, where he was, like, seeking shelter pretty much, because I guess he had nowhere to go. So we all know what Robert's thinking, right? Got a vulnerable man in my backyard, so here's my chance for another victim. So he invites him inside and notices that Mark is kind of tense and he seems maybe kind of a little depressed or something. So he offers him chlorpromazine, (laughs) some drugs, Uh, I guess, which is supposed to like treat schizophrenia and bipolar disorders and things like that. So Robert told Mark that it would calm him down and make him relax. Mark accepted the offer, and just 30 minutes later, Robert carried him to the second floor bedroom where he held him captive and tortured him. Robert placed alligator clips on his nipples in order to give him Eesh. electric shocks to his body whenever Mark would like begin to go unconscious. To like, wake to him wake back him up. up. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, I know. Although just one hour after torturing Mark and by inserting hypodermic needles into various muscles in his back, Mark died from a combination of drugs, the gag, and lack of oxygen. Robert claimed he died at 7 p.m. on June 23rd, 1985. Then on September 26th of the same year, 1985, Robert got a call from an acquaintance by the name of James Ferris, and they agreed to meet at a bar that evening. Bad, bad James. Bad he idea, didn't James. Know. I know. After meeting up that night, Robert brought James back to his home where he crushed up tranquilizers and put them in James's dinner. After consuming them, Robert tied James to his bed and tortured him for about 27 hours. Damn. I know. Robert administrated several, like, 
7,700 volt electrical shocks to James's shoulder and testicles for up to five minutes at a time. Jesus fucking Christ. I know. This guy's a fucking psycho. Robert would then give James acupuncture by inserting hypodermic needles into his neck and his genitals. James was becoming so delirious, but Robert continued to physically and sexually abuse and assault James. Oh, one thing I didn't tell you about this sick fuck also. How do I know, like, all these times and everything, like, either I'm stating and stuff like that and what he's doing is because this sick fuck kept a log of what he did. Like, he had a little piece of paper. Oh, he'd shit. write things down on it and, like, at the time that he was torturing these men. For instance, he wrote in his log about James, quote, unable to sit up more than 10 to 15 seconds. Another one said, quote, very delayed breathing. Uh, another one said, meant anything from throw it out to stop the project, which I guess was slang that he used while being a chef, also meaning that James was dead. Like, stop the project. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least he was an organized serial killer. That's true. This is very true. I know. That is fucking horrible. <laughs> June 17th, 1986, Robert runs into Todd Stoops who was a 23-year-old drug addict and occasional prostitute and had once lived with his wife at Robert's house at Kansas. And he, they, ran, or they ran into each other at Kansas City's Liberty Memorial Park. Robert invites him over to his house for lunch with an added incentive of sex because Todd needed $13 for some drugs. So he agreed. This is where Robert holds him captive for around two weeks where he used electrical shocks through Todd's closed eyes in order to blind him. Robert also injected drain cleaner into his throat as an attempt to silence his screams, which is fucking terrifying. During the second week of Todd's torture, he'd actually like asked Robert for something to drink and a sandwich, but Robert obviously denied him of anything and like told him like, no, you can't have anything. And Todd just starts bawling his eyes out, you know, because he's freaking probably starving and feels like he's going to die, you know, so... Um, this is horrible again. On June 27th, Robert ruptured Todd's anal wall with his fist, causing severe bleeding. At this point, Todd is like, what the fuck? I know, I know, I know, I know, it's horrible. Just wrong. This guy is so sick. So at this point, Todd is really declining. So Robert tries to shake your head. I'm just you really went story. Like, I say one thing about the last podcast. <laughs> And you really went, like, overboard with this shit. This uh, is, like... <laughs> I'm sorry. And I began the this podcast in kind of a shitty mood, too. Oh, sorry. And now it's just... So at this point... <laughs> this job isn't easy, guys. <laughs> I know it's not. So like I was saying, Todd is really declining, so Robert tries... Really to declining? Be nice Are you kidding me? ...and feed him ice cream and soup. But he logged quote, wasn't able to keep anything down. <laughs> His intention was to keep him alive as a sex slave, but by the end of the second week of being held captive, Robert logged, quote, unable to breathe in a sitting position, unquote. On July 1st, 1986, Todd ended up dying, and later a forensic pathologist testified that the, quote, ruptured anal wall caused septic shock, which proved fatal, unquote. That was by far one of the harder ones to read. That's just, yeah. It is now spring of 1987 when Robert runs into 20-year-old Larry Pearson and the two become friendly and somewhere thereafter, Larry moves in to Robert's house where he kind of does chores to live there rent-free. 
Robert claims that he had no intent of capturing Larry, but all that changed on June 23rd, of course, duh. The two watched the movie Creep Show 2 together, and then they had some lunch, and then they hopped in the car, they drove around Kansas when Robert, like, jokingly said something about robbing gay men in Wichita, but this never faced Larry at all. Then they returned back to Robert's house, where Robert gave Larry a shit ton of alcohol, and then, you know, he was kind of drunk at this point, so then he injected him with again, chlorpromazine, some drugs, and took him to the basement. Robert tied Larry's hands above his head and then injected his larynx with drain cleaner. Over the next five days, Robert endured electrical shocks, had several broken bones in his hands from an iron rod, and according to Robert, Larry was by far the most cooperative out of all of the men that he had taken in. So as a reward, (laughs) this is so fucking stupid, As a reward, Robert moved him out of the basement to the second floor and told him that if he continued to cooperate, he would not inflict as much pain on him as in the basement. Larry learned to sleep without moving so that he wouldn't be put back into the basement and endure like more torture. So it's like, I'll move you up here as a reward, but you're still going to get tortured. Just not as much, though. Not that much. Six weeks after Robert held him captive, Larry had enough, so he had the chance to like you know try to do something so larry bit like deep into robert's dick oh shit (laughs) yeah and then he like screamed at him but like he couldn't take like the poor treatment anymore so obviously like this fucking pissed robert off he proceeded to bludgeon larry with a tree limb causing him to go unconscious and then he put a bag over his head suffocating him causing him to die robert then drove himself to the hospital so that way he'd get treated for his probably i'm assuming from the tree limb or something so he had to go take care of himself first. from the tree limb yeah he hit him he he bludgeoned larry with a tree limb causing him to go unconscious where he got this fucking tree limb i have no idea oh, maybe he, he went there because he got a, he went to the hospital because his dick got bit oh shit maybe the, yeah but then like what how would you say to that like, i don't know you probably lie like hey i'm this crazy guy i met at a bar bit my dick <laughs> You're right. It probably was for the yeah. It's dick not from the tree branches. <laughs> I don't know. I thought maybe he was hitting him and like the branch cut him or something. But you're probably right. It's probably the penis injury. <laughs> so then, after healing his penis or whatever, <laughs> Robert then returned back home where he dismembered the body in the basement and then stored his head in a plastic bag and put it in the freezer. But then he decided he didn't want it in the freezer anymore, so he buried it in the backyard. Now we're. At his last victim, 22-year-old Christopher Bryson. When does it end? I know. I know. This is number six now. Chris was a male prostitute who was out at 1 a.m. on March 29th, 1988, when Robert spotted him and lured him back to his house, promising him, again, money for sex. Upon arriving at Robert's house, he hit Chris with an iron bar, knocking him unconscious. Robert then tied him to his bed, where Robert again abused and tortured yet again another man. Robert... Roberto. <laughs> Robert repeatedly swabbed Chris's eyes with ammonia, telling him, quote, the only thing you need to think about are you, me, and this house. Uh, Don't know what the uh, fuck that's, that's supposed to mean. Several days later, Robert told Chris that he was starting to trust him and that he was willing to talk about some of the abuse that he was enduring. Robert would not negotiate on the sexual abuse, though. <laughs> like, everything else maybe we could talk about. Maybe... A little less pain, but we're not going to talk about sexual abuse. That's still going to fucking happen. Robert ended the conversation saying, quote, I've gotten this far with other people before, and they're dead now because of mistakes they made. 
Robert also stated, quote, you did not choose to be here, but you are. For you to survive being here and for you to, you know, make it, it could be either be tough or it could be easy. If I grow to like you and to trust you, then I could do special things for you, such as buy you cigarettes, pick up a movie on the way home from work, and so forth. Don't try to fight me or you'll get more of what you had earlier. You see, what you got is nothing compared to what you have, unquote. By the third day of being held captive, Chris had given Robert so much trust that he convinced Robert to tie his hands like in front of him after he got sexually abused by Robert instead of like doing it above his hands. Because obviously like your blood's, you know, it was just like, can you please just tie my hands in front of my, you know, like you can trust me. He also convinced Robert to like when he wasn't in the room, hey, can you like leave the TV on and then like leave the remote like in my lap or something so that way he can change the channel. And, and you know, Robert kind of agreed to this. Although one day Robert was at work and Chris was still in the room and he noticed a book of matches that was like laying on the floor and Robert didn't even realize that was there. So he got the book of matches and he burned through the restraints that he had on and he jumps out the second floor window, only wearing a dog collar, by the way. He's completely naked. Oh my God. Yeah. And he ends up breaking, you know, a bone in his foot. But who gives a shit, right? He's just trying to be free. So he managed to run towards a meter reader and he was yelling at him like, call the police, call the police. And then, like, some house nearby heard the commotion going on, so they called the police. And, like, within minutes, the police came. There were four officers that arrived in minutes, like I said, questioning Chris as to what happened. Chris claimed that he was hitchhiking, because obviously he doesn't want to tell them that he was there to have sex with him. Yeah. He was a prostitute. So he claimed that he was hitchhiking and that he was abducted by Robert, who had raped and tortured him for four days before he was able to escape. As he was telling the officers what had happened to him, they did notice the dog collar, the broken foot, his red and swollen eyes, as well as scars and welts, like, all over his body. So they are like, oh, shit, like, he probably is telling the truth. So Chris was driven to Monroe Medical Center for treatment. Then a search warrant was requested for Robert's property. Chris had even told the officers that Robert at one point showed him Polaroid <clears throat> pictures of men who had, like, appeared to be deceased. Once they were able to get into his home... They found burnt rope attached to the post at the foot of the bed on the second bedroom floor, kind of like what he was saying. Mm -hmm. right? He burnt them off. And there were metal trays containing syringes, small bottles of prescription drugs, swabs, and eye drops. They also found a long iron pipe, various lengths of rope, and leather belts. Not only that, but they found a human skull inside a closet on the second floor, as well as a partially decomposed human head in the backyard, which was Larry's head. Also found were several human vertebrae scarred by like a hacksaw and knife marks that were found in the hallway with several human teeth in two envelopes. What the so there's just like teeth and body parts like around it. Like, bleh, I don't even want to know what this house smells like. Saws were found in the basement with blood, flesh, and pubic hairs on them. Luminol testing showed tons of blood in the basement and on two plastic trash barrels. 334 Polaroid pictures and 34 snapshots, like prints, I mean, of various men were found in Robert's house as well. Uh, of these pictures, the men were both alive and dead, and some were being taken, like, while they were being tortured. They also came across numerous restraints, sexual devices, pornographic literature, hypodermic needles, and a book on narcotics. This is when they also discovered this pad, like I was saying, like he that contained all like the torture logs um, on like one of the dressers that um, Robert was writing, you know, about all his victims yeah. and stuff like that. So there were also newspaper clippings from the Kansas City Star about a missing man named Jerry Howell, his mm -hmm. first victim, 
as well as a wallet and driver's license that belonged to James Ferris in the closet on the second floor. But Robert, duh, he like denied being involved and then got a lawyer. He's not guilty. So many, many family members. This is fucking terrifying to me. I just, oh, it's so sad. So many family members had to like identify their loved ones through the photos that Robert yeah, had taken. Yeah, that's fucked up. Including Jerry's father, Paul, who had to see his dead son hanging upside down. The one that he, you know, was like yeah. draining his blood and stuff like that. Yeah, so that's how he had to identify his son. Robert even confessed and said about the death of Larry, quote, I put a plastic bag over his head and tied it with rope and allowed him to suffocate, end quote. So, yeah, that's fucking terrifying. So, like, sometimes he would, like, confess to it, and the other times he's like, no, I wasn't involved and all this shit. But Robert was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. There was, like, a bunch of shit in court. I mean, you can obviously look it up and read it all, but I don't want to bore you guys with it. But there's, like, plea bargaining, and there's so much happening in court. See, he did ultimately get charged with the other murders and confessed to a lot of what he did. Robert even stated in court, Quote, these were not people that I thought of. Once I had them bound and was using them, they became something other than people to me. I never thought it out of the level of, what if one of these bodies ever gets loose? Unquote. So he just didn't give a shit about it. Yeah. He was just using them as, I don't know, just to torture. <laughs> just yeah. As not, not even a person, you know. So Robert was incarcerated at the Missouri State Penitentiary until his death in 1992 when he died from a heart attack at 3.55 p.m. at only 43 years old. Robert never expressed any degree of remorse for his actions and referred to his victims as play toys. In an interview he granted shortly like before he died, Robert's house was purchased by a local businessman for an undisclosed amount in December 1988, but the property was demolished, so we can't go visit it. Mm, good not and that's the story of a uh, of robert Berdella. fucking terrifying glad he's dead anything anything you want to talk about that's yeah, fucking disgusting <laughs> i know this one was like fucking horrible was, yeah it's all from his fucking dad his dad was a piece of shit and then you know abusing him i don't know Maybe that's where it stemmed from. I don't know. Probably didn't want to tell his dad he was gay either. It's got to mess with a person's head. Yeah. But anyways, thank you guys for joining and listening. <sighs> Enjoy to your Monday after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until next Monday, stay safe and be away. <laughs>